0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah 40. You want your Bibles open there. Likely a familiar passage to many of us during an Advent season. Uh, The context may not be as familiar. So we're going to read uh, just a portion of chapter 40. uh, The first 11 verses this morning. Here's the word of the prophet Isaiah. Comfort. Comfort. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. This is the word of our God, eternally fixed in the heavens. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful for your word to us that is unchanging, enduring forever. When there is so much that is changing around us, so much about ourselves and within us that changes Lord, You are unchanging and Your Word to us is steadfast and sure. And so we ask You now by the help of Your Holy Spirit to speak to us through this Word. Help us in understanding and applying this Word to our hearts and our lives. Encourage us, teach us, move within us a deeper adoration and praise, the glorious salvation, the deliverance that comes through our shepherd who is the lamb. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. One of my dear uh, friends and mentors uh, living in Colorado Springs, as he was stopping through a while ago, he shared with me what I thought was an excellent picture of a retirement season. Uh, he served the faculty and the staff at the Air Force Academy for almost 40 years. And just in the last couple of years, he's transitioned that RUF uh, ministry uh, to, to some different leadership. But he reminded me that that stepping away from uh, that that ministry uh, in retirement wasn't stepping away from serving but it was a changing of lanes and i love that picture because it's still th- th- there's still work to be done they're still moving in a direction but it, but it's a different lane um, there, there's still a, a a service that can be done and, and, and in this lane maybe a little slower may be able to see some things, take in some things that the other lanes you know, couldn't do. Um, not pulling off the road altogether by any means. Still work to be done, but it may look a little different in this uh, season uh, of life and retirement. And the prophet, prophet Isaiah, if he were living in our time and in our culture, he would be in a retirement season. Uh, likely in his early Uh, 70s with the death of of king hezekiah so about 697 bc and so his days of public preaching have have likely uh, wound down come to an end by this time but as any preacher of god will tell you it doesn't end doesn't stop it just looks a little different Um, and so the prophet you know he couldn't pull off the road altogether there's still a word from the lord to be shared with the people but he's changed lanes. Uh, his message and focus is a little bit different, maybe uh, different than what the people in Judah were used to hearing or would expect from um, this prophet. So actually, before we turn to the prophet, I think there's a word here for us, for those of you who are looking ahead towards a retirement season or in a retirement season. Um, it, it should be, probably should be a time of, of greater rest not pulling off the road altogether uh, in service to God or in service to the church or family or community, um, but it's changing lanes. You're still serving, um, still using your gifts and the resources that God has entrusted to you, but it looks different. Maybe now is the time where mentoring or or teaching is more of a possibility. Uh, maybe now is the time to try something new uh, in service that you haven't done before, even as you care for uh, the body that the Lord has entrusted. So Isaiah was still bringing the word in a retirement season. Um, but the whispers here that we've been listening to from Isaiah, they're turning into cries. It's not a unique message you know, of restoration for the people. They've heard this. But the comfort still seems very abrupt. Um, and so I want us to listen to the voices, three voices in response to this passage. Um, Composer George Frederick Handel, um, not a very likable guy, not a very friendly man from what we understand, from what history tells us. Um, In fact, his friends gave him the name the Great Bear. How would you like that for a name? Uh, Kind of a hot-tempered composer. He wrote many different operas, but as he went into the 1740s, his health was starting to fail. Um, Financially, he was in very difficult bankrupt. Uh, had not been been writing very much really thought his career had come to an end as a composer and then he was asked by a group in ireland if he would come and direct one of uh, his operas that he had written well instead of doing that he decided he was going to write something new Um, he was a, a deeply religious man and so he sat down to compose this oratorio and his friends said he hardly ate he hardly slept he went about this work as if divinely inspired. And so in less than 25 days, um, he had put together what we know of as the Messiah. Um, quotes 14 different books or letters from the Bible. And it was uh, when it premiered in 1742, it was, it was declared a masterpiece from the moment that it uh, premiered. And when he was 74 years old, Handel was conducting the Messiah when he collapsed and ended up dying a few days after that. Um, Masterwork by a master composer. And it starts right here. It starts in Isaiah 40. A word of comfort from the Lord to his people. The people are going to be exiled to Babylon The Lord's going to allow that disaster in their lives, but He's not going to abandon them. They're going to return to their true home, to the place where God dwells with them in His temple. So Jerusalem, Jerusalem and the people are really uh, synonymous terms here. God hears the cries of His people just as He heard their cries in the land of Egypt. Um, He comforts them. And in doing so, He's inviting them to respond. So even though they have not kept covenant, he, he has kept them in his grasp. And up to this point, you know, coming out of chapter 39, the people are hearing the prophet, but they're not really listening. And he speaks to, to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, your house, your family is going to be carried off to Babylon. And the response is, oh, okay, well, at least that's not my problem. I don't have to worry about that. That's out there. Kind of like asking a young teenager, you know, what are you, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Where are you going to retire? What? Well, I need to think about that. That's out there. I don't need to worry about that. So they're not yet ready to really respond to this word from the prophet, but someday, someday they're going to need this word of comfort. They're going to need to hear this in captivity that the Lord has not abandoned them. That He actually will return and lead them to the land of promise like a shepherd leads his sheep. They're going to need to hear that. And the shepherd fights for a sheep. He delivers them from the outward battle, from this captivity, but He also delivers them from the inward battle. Delivers against sin. That payment would be made, a pardon for their sin for all those days and years when they have not listened And that pardon is going to be a double grace, we read there in verse 2. More than sufficient to cover their sin. And we don't hear it here, but that that covering, that payment, comes through a suffering servant that Isaiah speaks of a little later in this this big section of his prophecy. Um, So what are we hearing from this voice, this voice of the Lord? There is a real and legitimate comfort for God's people in duress. Have you, uh, have you felt under duress at all lately? I know I have. Um, wondering how things are going to really play out. Maybe it's with your health, your family, travel plans, Christmas plans. The Lord is all too familiar with our duress and captivity. Uh, but there is a comfort. Um, those things are not going to last. He claims victory over over our sin and those who sin against us. And that, that in itself, that, that forgiveness, it, it's almost it's shocking. It's abrupt. It is right here. It's just comfort, comfort my people. For their, their iniquity will be part. And you think, what? How did that happen? Um, how can that even be? I was thinking of the picture of if you've received, I hope this never happens to any one of you, but if you receive a life sentence to prison, And you're in the jail cell and maybe about a year of your life sentence goes by and the jail cell opens up. It says you're free. You're free to go. You sit there and go, what happened? How did this come about? And Isaiah again explains this mystery later uh, in his prophecy. But I wonder if our lives show the amazement, even show the shock of such generosity of God that would pardon our sin. Because it can start to sound sort of old hat. And so we get into an Advent season. What a great kindness of God. Every year as we get into this Advent season to stir the wonder, to stir our amazement at His generosity. Um, he would give His only Son a love that comforts His people. Um, so when God's people are, are in duress, you know, when we're struggling... Um, Typically, you know, we, we don't need the, the simple platitudes like, well, you know, such is life, or it was meant to be. I mean, we understand the sentiment behind those things, but we need a comfort. We need a hope that is, I mean, fixed. It's from the very voice of God himself. Um, I think it's just marvelous that that handle opens this oratorio with this passage, because it really is a grand overview of what the rest of the Messiah unfolds. Um, child of God, be comforted. He will deliver you. Um, so then we get to the second voice. It's a general cry. We don't, we don't know who is speaking in, uh, in verses 3-5 through five here, but it focuses on the Lord's action. Um, the Lord is going to arrive uh, unhindered, Uh, to deliver His people. There's nothing that's going to stop Him. His journey isn't going to be difficult like climbing over mountains or or going through the valleys. Um, His glory will be made known uh, in all the earth. And that's really the point. Um, As the Lord shepherds His people, He does so before a watching world. They're seeing His greatness. They're seeing His covenant faithfulness. They're seeing His covenant love. And it calls them to join in with the people, to join this company of the redeemed. God doesn't save a people. I mentioned this earlier. He doesn't save a people for themselves. He saves a people so that more people would be His people. Kind of like the reverse bandwagon effect. Okay, You've heard of, well, let's just get on the bandwagon, right? Um, you know, everybody seems to be moving in this direction. or everybody's... Uh, voting this way, or everybody's buying this, well then, we must be missing something. So, we sort of lay aside the beliefs and convictions at that point, we get on the bandwagon, right? Um, but the, the bandwagon of God's people doesn't grow despite what we believe, or because of the need to feel included, it grows because of what we believe. It grows because The truth of God is revealed and His glory is made known. Um, So our God is always on mission. He's always on mission to show forth His glory in this world. Um, And that is a glory that takes on flesh at its appointed time. And the Word became flesh. We have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father. And that night in Bethlehem, the glory of the Lord was revealed uh, in this child. And then later, John the Baptist, as we've read this morning, he he quotes this in in John chapter 1, saying that, that He is the very one crying in the wilderness. The glory of God that is now walking and talking and healing among them. John is calling all to repentance. To trust in the Lord. And that glory would go all the way to a cross. That more would see that the shepherd of God's people is also the Lamb. As I think about the word of Isaiah here, this message and and where the prophet is in his life, you know, Isaiah never never saw this unfold. He did not see the people delivered from Babylon. Uh, Most histories will actually support that. The prophet Isaiah was sawn in two under the reign of King Manasseh. And yet he could cling to the comfort of these words in his own suffering. But he doesn't see the exodus from Babylon. doesn't see the fruit of his message, if you will. And I think that's often true for us. We may not often see the result of our own labors. Or see lives actually changed because of our words or our actions. And yet suffering seems so acute for us. Why? Why? If the world hates you, know that it hated me first, Jesus says. Know that I suffered and had no place to lay my head in this world. Disciples of Jesus will follow the shepherd. He is also the lamb. So There's another voice, verses 6-8. through eight. Uh, Some believe here that this, this may be the prophet's recommissioning. Remember in chapter 6, he responds to the Lord's voice. Here am I, send me. And now here in, in the cry of verse 6, it may be, we don't know for sure, it may be Isaiah who says, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass. All its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. You know, Did we just step back into Ecclesiastes for a second? It kind of feels that way. So transient is the grass. That's how people are described. Uh, There seems to be a little bit more here than just our physical lives and how quickly they pass. Um, There's there's an obedience, a beauty here that is also short-lived, like a beauty of the flower. Even as God's people, we we wither, we're fragile, we soon meet uh, death, but not so the very Word of God. God's Word stands forever. All that God's Word says, everything it says about His actions, all that it says about His character, all that it says about His promises, stand forever. In that language, it actually points to a, a stability. I mean, you can, you can put your whole weight... Whoa. You can put your whole weight on God's Word. Not like this podium which might fall over. Um, God's Word doesn't. It's stable. It's fixed. Um. And there's a tremendous comfort in that. Even in the topsy-turvy, um, always changing potential for the pulpit to tip over world. Um, there's comfort in that. Uh, family, we need to hear this. We need to hear that the Word of God stands forever. Um, that we are His. That He is ours. Um, when we feel, when we're feeling the most fragile when we are feeling the most um, vulnerable and helpless, uh, when things that make up our very identity in this world are compromised, our security of chil- as children of God is not compromised. Um, it can never be stolen from us. Not because we keep it safe, but because He keeps us safe that identity is secure. Um, and it's, it's secure in the first sentence of this passage. Comfort my people. I mean, what, what love and belonging is there? Just that phrase, comfort my people. So what's the response here to these voices? Verse 9-11, through 11, they help us with that. Uh, the picture here is of God's people, of Zion, receiving this news of God's comfort, of God's deliverance, and then, and then taking it Taking it out to the surrounding area. Proclaiming it. You know, When you hear news that is this good, it can't be contained. You can't keep it to yourself. That God's Word endures. That His promises are sure. That His people will be delivered and free to worship. That needs to be proclaimed confidently, without fear, and in Judah and in all the world. All flesh shall see and hear the joy of God's people. Behold your God. Behold your God. In his uh, essays on the Psalms, uh, C.S. Lewis, he says that part of enjoyment is actually sharing. So enjoyment overflows in praise and in proclamation so that the praise itself completes the enjoyment. The joy we have in our salvation In the shepherd who who gathers us and leads us can only find its true completion as we are sharing that with others. Um, And I realize we don't always do that well. Um, We don't always know how to uh, respond or what to say. Uh, But the shepherd is tender with his flock. He cares for them. He cares for us. He carries us. When we're helpless and vulnerable, and we have little strength, little will of our own. He's tender. So the good news of Christ's coming that we're celebrating right now in an Advent season, you know, that good news, it's really Isaiah 40 just unrolled in its spiritual fulfillment. In Jesus, all God's people in every place have this comfort. Jesus has secured our freedom. He leads us in this new exodus to a land of promise because the shepherd is also the Lamb. Handel concludes the Messiah in a very fitting way. Um, We've also heard this already this morning. He shows us the grand overview and then he shows us how it's accomplished at the very end in Revelation chapter 5. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us to God by His blood. This is the glory of the Lord revealed. The pardoning of sin. The great comfort of God's people. Um, the Messiah of the prophet. The Messiah in the line of David. The Messiah in the wilderness. The Messiah of George Frederick Handel has come. Um, so let's listen. Um, let's listen and, and sing along and rejoice in the tender and strong arms of our shepherd. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful that the shepherd is the lamb. That this comfort comes to us, your people, because you have gone before us. Because you have pardoned us of all our sin through the sacrifice of your beloved Son, Lord Jesus, we exalt You. We have given Your life for us. You are the one who fights for us. Your arm is so very strong for Your people. And You hold us in sweet tenderness, carrying us. Lord, we thank You for the sure and steady promises of Your Word. For the whispers, the cries of the Messiah that we have heard from the prophet. Lord, move us to proclaim the greatness of our salvation and the glory of You, our God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.